0: The built landscape is a reflection of us, of human beings' need to develop, to grow, to live, to thrive, and to be remembered. It is also a reflection of our relationship with our environment. Architects and designers have always been translators, if you will, between a need and a vision. Today, they are also leading the way in helping us change the way we relate to our environment towards a more sustainable and respectful relationship. The challenges facing architects today are vast and complex. What about the architect of the future? We get back to basics and ask what makes a good architect? How is talent defined? How are conversations between design teams and clients changing? And what will the architect of the future need to be ready for? Hello everyone, my name is Monita Rajpal. Welcome to The Drawing Board, a WATG podcast where we explore the ideas, the issues and the trends that are being discussed within the design community today, as well as among clients and customers. We decided to explore this topic in two parts, the first with Monica Cuervo. WATG's Senior Vice President and Managing Director. Monica has been with WATG for almost three decades, bringing a global design experience specializing in hospitality, luxury residential, planning and entertainment destination design. Having worked in over 50 destinations worldwide, Monica's creativity in design, her technical expertise, and her effective leadership style have enabled her to lead project teams to innovate, develop, and ultimately build world-class projects. Monica joins me from California. I want to start by asking you what brought you to architecture and design?
1: For me, it really started at a very young age. I'm originally from Colombia, South America. And so my parents would send us home for the summer vacation. And uh, at a very young age, I would spend summers with grandma and grandpa. And my grandfather actually, in his later years, was a developer of homes and small developments. But he would take us to these construction sites. And I would walk the construction sites and obviously play in the big sands, uh, mounds, and the smell of fresh concrete. I would walk through all the spaces still unfinished, and I just was fascinated from a very young age. There's Mm -hmm. just these moments and these memories that I had since a very young age, and I carried that throughout my childhood. I loved to draw I loved Legos, (laughs) so all of those things kind of really solidified my desire to be an architect as far back as I can remember, so probably four or five.
0: Wow. So how would you describe then your journey thus far?
1: I would say amazing journey, Monita. I feel extremely blessed and grateful for All of the wonderful things that I've had throughout my life, not only with mentorship and opportunity, I think there's been a lot of wonderful people who have inspired me and have given me the confidence to be able to really kind of pursue my dream of being an architect and being involved in design. No one really ever said no, and no one ever really put a barrier to entry in my way. I know that, you know, there's been. Uh, Colleagues of mine who have shared experiences about perhaps fathers or individuals in their careers saying maybe that's not something that you should pursue because of the fact that you're a woman. But honestly, I have never felt that. I've had super strong role models in my life, both male and female, who have really never even questioned uh, what I wanted to do. So I think that confidence has really played a huge role in my career and in my journey, not only in my younger elementary years and high school, as well as my university and professional development now. I've been with WA Teaching now for almost 30 years. It'll be 29 in November. And every project and every task that has been presented has really been just that next step. It was always that next step. And when I was Presented with the opportunity or the task at hand. It was not, do you think you can do this? It was just, let's do it, let's do it. And I know that I'm going to have the support and the mentorship there to be able to watch me take that next step and help me along the way and
0: support me. So, when you think back to, say, when you were starting out, how did you know that this was a career that you could? Tangibly, do that you could be good at?
1: I really never questioned it. It was just what I wanted to do. And I think I was just so passionate about the fact that I loved. Buildings and design and experiences, even though, you know, way back then, I didn't really kind of catalog it as an experience. It was when I went to new places, I always had this feeling like this is a great location. This is a good feeling. And the built environment always played a role. every every single time I had a good feeling about a place, the built environment played a role. So it was always something that I knew. That I enjoyed being a part of, Mm -hmm. and that the design process was something that I was just going to evolve. So I don't think I ever really questioned or or kind of had one single experience or moment. It was really something that unraveled throughout my life.
0: I like Um, that. I like that expression of an unraveling because a career is an evolution, isn't it? It's not necessarily straightforward it's no. something that you yeah you unravel and unwrap along the way to see which direction it takes do you have some early memorable experiences of projects that that really made you feel really in that moment of oh, wow this is why i got into this business
1: i think there's many probably some of the earlier experiences were when I did start to travel with WATG specifically. Very, very early on, I had the great opportunity to travel with one of my great mentors to Panama to work on a project that was about transforming an old Air Force site barracks along the Panama Canal into a resort destination. It was pretty, I think, enlightening to see that Charette that we participated in was not only about putting pen to paper and drawing what we envisioned for the place, but had a lot to do and everything to do with walking the site, understanding the culture, understanding the behaviors of how That transformation was going to have to occur relative to the community, relative to what made that place special, not only for the people of Panama, but also the tourists that we were anticipating would come visit the place. And it was during those three or four days of spending time not only with the architects, the fellow architects, but the landscape architects and the engineers and the local architects that we were going to have to work with, that at the end of that experience, it really kind of cemented the fact that this is not about one person's idea. This is a collective. This is about understanding so many aspects of design that don't just have to do with the pen on the paper and the actual building. And so I think that's probably one of many, so many projects that I've had the great opportunity to work with along the way, have really kind of mimicked that experience. And obviously, you know, every single one of those comes with building upon that experience and and enhancing it along the way.
0: You know, so many of us when we're starting out in our careers, we have a vision of how we hope it will unfold, or where we want to be. Sometimes that changes, as you said so eloquently before, it's an unraveling and visions change. And definitions of success change too. What was your definition of success when you were starting out and what is it today? That's a great
1: question, Monita. You know, when you're coming out of school as a young, aspiring architect or designer, your vision of success at that moment is, I want to be able to design my own building and have my signature on a particular project. And as you traverse this journey and, and really kind of start to understand the bigger picture, you start to realize that you can impact and make a difference in different ways. And so fast forward to today, I think my vision of success is different than it was just coming out of school, because it relates not only to, again, going back to just the one building, but lives and experiences of our fellow architects and colleagues and design professionals, that it really has to do with creating a community, not just a building, but a community, a built environment that is composed of a lot of different types of ingredients. And being able to also now, fast forward to now, to be able to create a place that is sustainable, that gives back, that is responsible that is going to be long-lasting for generations, and that is not going to harm our environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the definition of success is completely different. But again, it has to do with that unraveling and peeling back the layers and understanding really kind of the heart of what is a great place.
0: What do you say? Then, are the traits of a good architect?
1: I think first and foremost an architect or designer has to listen they have to have great listening skills because every you know every meeting that you attend every client that you meet and that you work with you've got to be able to sit and listen and really think about their words think about the way they act and the way they perceive So being able to be respectful of the lens through which they perceive what their vision wants to be is absolutely key to being, I think, a successful designer and architect.
0: Does that include emotional intelligence as well?
1: Absolutely. 110% emotional intelligence to be able to, again, go back and understand and really read and perceive what it is they're looking for because oftentimes you know they'll bring you pictures or clients and and consultants will share their vision but what they really mean <laughs> is really what you're what you're in search of to really get to the heart and part of that is that's part of the process of asking questions and And asking the same question, but in five different ways so that you can understand what that response means and really, you know, not only hear the response in the moment, but jot it down and read it again, you know, three days later or five days later or take out those initial thoughts that you shared during that charrette or during that workshop at the very front end of the project process and the design process, take it out again and reread it and and look at it and understand it. So definitely emotional intelligence is key to the whole overall design process.
0: How did you develop the confidence to trust your gut, to share your thoughts and your opinions and your expertise and to, to use your voice to do that? How did you develop that?
1: It's years of experience, Monita. I mean, I think that's that's kind of a, a, an easy answer. And because I can remember those very, very first initial meetings that I sat in where you were the youngest person in the room and you'd look around and you would think about the response when a client asked a question or a consultant put an idea on the table. You'd think about what that response was, but you would hesitate to say, that response to be out loud because you thought okay maybe that's not the right one and you did doubt yourself because you didn't have the experience to validate that that response was in fact the correct one. But as the years go by, you start to realize that what you thought was exactly what the answer would have been. And I think too, what is amazing about maturing, and I'll use the word maturing, is that you. Learn throughout these experiences that it's okay to be wrong, but it's yeah. okay that you have to lose the fear of not giving the right answer all the time. It's not about that because you know what? Sometimes if a response or a comment or an observation that you put on the table isn't necessarily the right one, it's going to spark or incite somebody else's mm-hmm. idea. To deliver the correct solution. This is why the collaboration is so powerful. It's so powerful to be able to collaborate with 15 minds in the room or five minds in the room versus one or two. Because that dialogue and that sharing of ideas is what is
0: the magic
1: in the moment, right? In the magic in the room. And that's probably how how so many revolutionary ideas have come to pass. It's never one person's idea. It's about the collaboration and bringing all that together.
0: I think also as we mature, as we accrue more experience in our lives, we are also not afraid to be humble, not afraid of humility. There has often been when you're young, you have to show that you know or that you are confident, yet humility is also another very important trait, isn't it? A very important quality to have in that it allows you to be open to listen to other opinions. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And I think that humility is really, I think, a fundamental trait that you must have and going back to you know some of those traits that you need to have as an architect or designer humility is key because you do have to be able to walk into a room and to be able to help design a place or an experience knowing that all the great ideas that are going to come together are not necessarily going to be yours mm-hmm. so being able to be open to that and then like going back to the idea of being fearless i think that has to do with The ultimate manifestation of humility, because you have to be able to know that you're going to be able to be open and understanding and respectful overall.
0: How do you define or recognize talent?
1: I think it's important to identify, you know, some of those things that we've just talked about. Somebody who's a good listener, who observes, who is self-aware. It's interesting. I had a mentor tell me many years ago that it was really in terms of success and being a good communicator or being a good designer was not necessarily all skill. It was half skill and half attitude. And I think it has a lot to do with how you come to the table, how you, your attitude and the idea that you're willing to liberate your mind and be a free thinker um, and not come with pre-baked ideas and thoughts. So I think great talent has to be sought after with all of those things in mind. And let's not kid ourselves, also in terms of design specifically, you need to be able to have a good eye and a good sense for design, but it's not 110% of the equation.
0: From your observations and and experience, do you think that was that always the way? I
1: think it's always been the way, Monita. I really do. I think that, you know, as much as we want to say some of these types of personality, I guess, assessments and traits are new and innovative. I think they've been around forever for centuries. I mean, you know, you talk to your your grandparents and you talk to your great great aunts, and they at the end of the day, they all say the same thing. It's it, it is about humility and about mutual respect and about trusting your gut and your instinct and listening and really understanding those around you and the environments that we live in.
0: Because what you do is such a collaborative effort, how then do you develop your own design identity?
1: I know that in our world, there are what we like to call starchitects that have a signature style. But I would say the majority, those are those are few, I think, in the bigger scheme of things. I think the majority of great designers globally, they are designers who don't have a signature style, who really do listen and understand and, and watch and, and hear the land, listen to the land, listen to the place and understand the culture that they're designing for. And that's when really, I think, form and style follow function, because you really do understand what the needs are for that particular project type or environment.
0: Mm. How do you see firms like WATG nurture individuality and new vision?
1: I think nurturing individuality really comes from respecting that person for who they are and what they bring to the table. I go back to the fact that we are a firm of many different ethnicities and many different cultural backgrounds, and every single one of them come to the table with a different toolkit, so to speak, a different story. And when they're able to come to the table with that story that's very personal to them is, again, going back to the magic where it all happens. And so being able to have that person join the team and really kind of tailor their story to the design or the built environment or to the new design process that we're going to start for every project that we undertake is, I think, Again, going back to our secret sauce, it really is how each of these communities and how each of these places are shaped and how they become clients' vision and how that vision is realized.
0: I read somewhere that just in relation to that toolkit that you were talking about, how everyone comes from the various ethnicities and cultural backgrounds, someone described that as that's their edge. If you have that multiplied in one place, it's it's amazing what you can come up with.
1: That diversity is what makes such a unique, I would say, destination. It, it's so interesting. We worked on a project years ago when I first started. I was involved in one of the Atlantis projects for Sol Kirchner. He was an amazing visionary that really kind of, I think, introduced a whole new type of hospitality to the world. But when I started, I one of my very first little projects was designing a, a towel issue building where you issued towels. And <laughs> it was one set, it was such a small component of this huge resort destination that we were working on together. But it was yet again an example of how every single person that formed part of that team brought a little different, something a little different to the table. And that collective of design minds and processes, I think really helped to shape an amazing destination. I mean, I've heard, you know, and I'm not talking about just, you know, the, the, the way the towel issue looked, but just being able to bring a team of call it 25 or 30 design professionals to the table and many more when, as it relates to the different engineering disciplines and, and different types of other disciplines relative to landscape and interior design. But being able to bring all that together into one location, to design one location, is, is really pretty remarkable.
0: What do you think can be learned from the newer generation of architects that are coming in?
1: I love the fact that the newer generation is fearless. From day one, I am empowered by them because they arrive on day one and the sky's the limit. I mean, the world truly is their oyster. I mean, Monita, when we were little, I think our parents would tell us that, but I think in the back of their minds, they were probably thinking, well, you know, I'm not sure. But now the world really is their oyster. I mean, they have the ability to touch every corner of the earth. Mm -hmm in some shape or form. And I'm just blown away. And I'm so inspired by them when they arrive on day one of their journey uh, as an architect or a landscape architect or a planner, because they really do have such amazing potential. Their source of knowledge. They have the ability to know everything <laughs> on day one yeah. with this internet that we have, you know, any question Any question they have can be answered in in seconds. And so um, I I think that that in in and of itself is going to take us to a place that I think none of us have ever imagined before.
0: What I appreciate of the younger generation of people in in various professions is that they don't buy the whole, well, this is the way we've done it. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Because you need to come up with a better answer for them, and it forces you out of your comfort zone, right? Completely. And that's great. (laughs) So, agree with you. What do you think they can learn from established, experienced architects?
1: I think they can learn patience. I think that, you know, obviously with the ability to have the world as your oyster, sometimes there is a tendency to be impatient and to desire instant gratification, which is, you know, in their minds, there's no obstacle, which is good which is good, Monita. It is absolutely good. I mean, I have two children you know, who are in that same mode right now. They're young adults, and I am so inspired by both of them and, and motivated every day because of the way they thrive and the way they're excited by everything in their world. But you have to have a little bit of patience, I think, and understanding that you can't skip steps along the way, especially I think in design in the design profession, similar to the medical profession, um, you know there are certain things that you do have to learn and experience to be able to understand the bigger picture. And I think that would go a long way, I think, in some instances.
0: What are some of the elements of design? that are part of the conversation today that were not, say, 30 years ago?
1: Well, I would say that sustainability is definitely something that perhaps was talked about 30 years ago, but wasn't truly act upon, mm-hmm. which... Is really exciting. I think the idea of adaptive reuse is something that is definitely a part of our conversation today that people are taking seriously, and that 30 years ago, it really was only about the shiny new thing, the shiny new object, the new iconic. I love that word, or don't love that word. That <laughs> <laughs> they wanted it to be iconic. You know, it's really about understanding that our resources are extremely valuable and that we need to appreciate them and reuse them in different ways Mm -hmm. to find new ways to use them, but to definitely not take them for granted and and definitely find ways to be creative at at reusing them. The real meaning of sustainability and responsibility for our planet.
0: The interesting thing about life today Interesting, scary, perhaps, also, is that it's changing at such a rapid pace. What do you think are some of the issues that the architect of the future will have to grapple with?
1: I think more so than ever before, the global warming. I mean, we're experiencing it on a daily basis, the idea that our environments are changing and that climate is impacting the built environment. <laughs> you think about where agriculture used to live or lives now and where it, it may need to live in the future and what is going to have to be accommodated in different geographies because of the fact that global warming is real. It is absolutely going to impact the way we build, how we build, how we design. Um, and the where, perhaps. Exactly. Where is absolutely critical mm. uh, to understand. I mean, there's places that never in a million years thought about air conditioning because it wasn't needed. And, and now they're absolutely going to have to change the way they build structures to be able to understand that it is going to be, uh, that we're going to suffer extreme heat. Also that we're going to have to cultivate and we're going to have to grow crops and grow sources of food differently in different places. So that's going to affect everything, everything that we do. Our day to day, as well as how we vacation is going to be different.
0: Sustainability and future proofing structures. It's not a nice to have conversation. It's a must have conversation, right? Some clients perhaps are thinking, well, that's a nice to have, but I don't have the budget for it. But yet they're also thinking, I want a structure that's going to last for many decades to come and be a symbol of something, right? Because that's what a lot of people want. They want to have a legacy. How do you then? manage that conversation with clients who understand that they still want to have their buildings there for the long haul, but perhaps are not looking at it from a future-proofing perspective?
1: You know, Manija, I would like to think that that conversation is getting a lot easier Mm -hmm. because it's happening. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when key leaders in the world were saying it, it really wasn't visibly Visible or real. Today, it's real. Today, there's entire grids that are failing. And people are are losing lives because they can't survive in certain climates because all of this infrastructure is in fact breaking down. I mean, there is no one that can deny that those things are real and happening. So the conversation with clients about their long-term viability, sustainability measures and and implementing some of these measures in their buildings is very real, especially if they're assets that they're going to keep long-term. We have clients now that we can definitely use as case studies, as examples with new clients relative to what is being done. We have a building right now, we have a A wonderful client that we're working with right now that understands that and is future thinking. And they're looking at their hotels being all electric and they're looking at geothermal to make sure that they're considering all natural resources to be able to actually operate their buildings long term. Mm -hmm. So it's happening now. And so I think those conversations and those actionable items are actually going to help us. To influence future clients and future buildings.
0: When we think about the future and the architect of the future, and as daunting as it can be, and when we look at the issues that they will face and that the issues that we're facing today, there are also so many opportunities. There are ideas that have not been developed yet, that this is perhaps a time to be brave and courageous and think about what solutions you could provide. What excites you about? Uh, when you think about the architect of the future and how they can then provide those kind of solutions.
1: What excites me is the fact that they now have so many resources that they can tap. I mean, it isn't just, you know, where we were 30 years ago where things hadn't been proven and they didn't have engineers or, or sustainability measures that had been put in place as case studies. They now have an enormous amount of resources that they can tap to be able to partner with to put these proposed solutions together. Again, going back to the fact that, you know, we've got so much information at our fingertips at a global level that can come together to be able to put some solutions on the table that are real and actionable. That's something that we absolutely wouldn't have had 30 years ago that, that our young architects today, and even in, you know, ourselves where we sit today, I think that opportunity is, Endless, really, of what we were looking to do, not only
0: here, but in space. I have one last question for you. I'm going to go back to where we started, the vision that you had or the journey of your career. How would you say it's gone thus far? Has it met your expectations from when you were a kid?
1: It has exceeded my expectations, Monita. And again, I I think at the beginning of this conversation, I got choked up because I always get choked up, but it has exceeded my expectations. And I've, I've shared this with my family, you know, if today, but for some reason, you know, the powers that be said it's time, I would be extremely grateful for everything that I've had the opportunity to experience. And it has absolutely exceeded my expectations.
0: You couldn't ask for more than that. Yeah, Right, exactly. Yes. Monica Cuervo, thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute privilege.
1: Thank you, Monita. Thank you so
0: much. That was Monica Cuervo, WATG's Senior Vice President and Managing Director. Join us for part two of this episode where we will be speaking with one of WATG's rising stars, Nora Pui. You've been listening to The Drawing Board, a WATG podcast. I'm Monita Rajpal. Thank you for joining us.